we all look for signs as, as human beings. No matter, no matter who you are or what you believe, you're, you're looking for signs from God or, or the universe or the boy you like. But we all look for some kind of divine uh, source of understanding in some way through signs. And this morning, as we continue in Advent, I want to talk about um, those type of signs that we see um, and how can we interpret them and what should we even be looking for. And so the, the title, oddly enough, talking about signs is called uh, From Innocence to Goodness, Waiting. So as we look at this, this passage in the book of Isaiah, there's a lot of context, and I'm not going to go into all of it because I want to be invited back up to preach again. Um, so, uh, but we've got this king named Ahaz and, um, and a prophet named Isaiah who is coming up to him and giving him a word from the Lord. And we see in verse 10 how this uh, second part of this conversation happens. And actually, just to give you a picture of what's happening, if you, if you were to read the previous verses, you would realize that if this is the same event that was happening earlier, then the prophet Isaiah actually has one of his children with him. And they're out on this outer wall where this thing called an aqueduct is, which is the, the city's water supply. And so Isaiah is with his, one of his sons there, standing there talking uh, to this king, and he, he's a prophet of the king. And in verse 10, it says that, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. In a lot of the other translations that translate this, this part of the passage a lot more literally, it says it like this. It's on the screen as well. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Um, have you, uh, you ever known anybody who um, is trying to make a decision and, and they're just like, oh, if God would only give me a sign. Like you ever had a friend who is in a really bad relationship with somebody and they're like, oh, I just don't know what to do. I just wish God would give me a sign. And you're over there like, how many signs do you need, girl? Like for real, like all the signs only point to one direction. That's leaving, right? Or you know, somebody who's trying to make a decision with a job or, or something like that, and they're begging for this sign, and yet it seems really obvious to everybody around them what they really need to do. Have you ever been, seen, have you ever seen that situation? If you haven't seen it, that means you've probably always been the one crying out for the sign. Uh, most of us have been there at, uh, at some point. Um, but this, this uh, passage here is really, interest, really interesting. This verse is really interesting um, because Isaiah is saying like, hey, just ask God for any kind of sign. You can, you can ask for it to be anywhere in any way from the depths of Sheol that was like the, the underworld, the idea of, uh, of where people go when they die all the way up to heaven. Just ask for a sign. God will show you a sign. So what that tells me is, 
The main problem when we're looking for signs isn't that they're not there and God's trying to show us things. It's more that we can't recognize them. Isaiah's like, hey, pick a spot, throw a dart. God will show you a sign. And so it's, it's interesting and at first it seems like, whoa, dude, with, your, with his response, with this King Ahaz's response, um, like why would he respond like that? But really that's our response so often as we continue to look back into the passage here in verse 12. So um, it says, but Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. So, Part of what's going on here is um, the nation of Israel is divided into two kingdoms, a northern and a southern kingdom. Ahaz is the king of the southern kingdom. And there's all kinds of war going on right now. And there's people teaming up against the southern kingdom. And Ahaz has actually secretly made an alliance with some really bad people some bad dudes that can really mess a lot of stuff up called the Assyrians. So the Assyrians were feared all over the ancient Near East at this time. They were known to be extremely ruthless people. And uh, on the down low, Ahaz has made an agreement with them, with the king. And so um, he doesn't necessarily feel like he needs a sign from God at this moment because he's already kind of taken care and worked it out where the way he thinks it'll work, even though he's had to make a lot of moral compromises to get there. Am I already getting a little bit too close to home this close to Christmas right now? Yeah. You ever been in that situation where you're like, nah, I'm straight. I don't really need a sign. I don't really need God's input on this because I've kind of worked it out already and I'm just kind of used to operating that way and also you know um, it just seems like more of a sure thing than this crazy thing this prophet's talking about here am I am I stepping on anybody's toes a little bit right now and it's cold too so that's going to make it even worse so he says his response is perfect. His, you would think he grew up right here in the Mid-South in the Bible Belt because he says in response, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. So he quotes scripture at the prophet saying, thus saith the Lord to him. He covers it up with this piety. I, I shall not put the Lord God to the test. I'm not supposed to do that. Didn't you read Deuteronomy 6, Isaiah, where it says you shall not put the Lord God to the test? Uh-oh, here we go again, getting a little bit close. I, I, when I read this, I think about so many things that... Um, I've either heard somebody say, or maybe at, at some point I've said myself, there was one that was, I don't, I don't know what was going on, or if it was me, or if it was things that were going on in the world that, that was really popular. I heard people saying uh, uh, of a certain, a certain socioeconomic group, with, they were saying, um, you know, God is a God of order, not of chaos. 
in response to so many different problems and things going on in the world is just like a, a spiritual bypass. Like, hey, you're bringing up something serious and important, and I'm gonna throw out this like this little phrase about God, and it's gonna have some scripture sprinkled into it to try to shut down whatever conversation that you want to have that's important about what's actually going on in the world. Here's one I've heard a, a, a lot of times. It's like, didn't, didn't Jesus say that the, the poor would always be with us so that uh, nothing I really need to do about that? Because Jesus said they'll always be there. Whoop, just bypass right around that big, massive thing in Scripture where if you just through a dart in the book of Isaiah, you'd hear him talking about justice for the oppressed and for taking care of the widows and the orphans and all those things. But here we have this king, Ahaz, and he's like, I shall not put the Lord God to the test, right? We've all done this sometimes. We've, we've all found something coming up that was rather inconvenient, and we've tried to shoot it down with our own little ideas about piety, even as we were behind the scenes having our hands in some other cookie jar that felt so much more safe and secure than to hear something that God might have to say to us. It is a terrible thing sometimes to actually hear what God might be saying to you because it probably means something in your life is going to have to change in order for you to hear and to listen and to respond to that thing. So, uh, I'm sorry, I know it's close to Christmas, y'all, but this is just who I am. I just, I can't turn this off, okay? Uh, Christmas Eve will be better, all right? It'll be, it'll just be warm feelings and that kind of thing, all right? <laughs> so, um, this, is, this is what's happening here, because Ahaz is a king, and he's not just any king. He is a king in the line of David. Do you know what line Jesus was born from, what the, what the promised Messiah was supposed to come from? It was this line, the line of David, the lineage of uh, the chosen king of Israel that God established a covenant with. And so Ahaz has a lot of important responsibilities. And for every king that came about in this line of David, there was a hope in Israel that maybe this is the one that we've been waiting for. And as they were king for a period of time, what was usually realized is, no, this wasn't the one we were waiting for, but maybe one of his kids will be. And so we would expect Ahaz to be a wise king and ruling king. But what we find just in this little exchange here, there's many more uh, that you can see with this king, um, is, is really like an, an, an undeveloped sense of, of potential. And even as we get around to this word that's really important, I think, in this passage uh, of, of this almost feigned innocence. Innocence meaning like unaware unaware that anything in particular um, is, is wrong or could cause harm or that there's a potential for something to be changed or altered. And so Ahaz is here responding, I won't put the Lord to the test. And what I see here is really an undeveloped sense of innocence. And eventually this can become 
willful ignorance. That's what I think Ahaz is struggling with right now is willful ignorance. Uh, one, one difference between someone who is ignorant and someone who is wise or someone who has this sort of feigned innocence and, and a sense of wisdom is what do you do with the signs that God gives you in life? And it, part of the problem, I think, which uh, this passage uh, does begin to highlight is, is just that many of us grew up in a church environment where there was really, there was no destination for our faith other than to wait for somebody else to rescue us and save us. That the goal was you just learn that you're forgiven and you just kind of tell other people that. And then the rest of the time, you're just kind of waiting around for God to do everything. But when you do that, you don't develop and mature. You know, I, I, I don't think that as we look at the life of Jesus, that our goal was just to remain perpetual spiritual babies, that our goal was just to get back to a place of innocence, but instead it was to grow into wisdom and maturity. And I think, I think for the American church, my God, for the American church, that is a sorely needed message. We have so often been taught, we just need to learn these things and be able to regurgitate them like good children. And then our job is sort of done as Christians. And I see that sort of sense even in the way Ahaz is responding here to actually being challenged by God himself. So what, what continues to happen in this conversation? In verse 13, it says this, Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Uh-oh. So he's slick already telling him like, hey, you're supposed to be about more than you're about right now. You're from the house of David. So he's throwing a little holy prophet shade right there in verse 13. And he says, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? He's like, man, look, dude, this is tired. This is a tired argument. This is so petty. I'm here coming from God telling you this, and you're throwing out spiritual uh, little altruisms at me instead of engaging with what God is trying to do. He's like, so you're not just going to wear me out. You're going to wear God out too with your stuff, with your fake little stuff, pretending like you're holy, like you want to follow God. Verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Oh, a sign. So he says, hey, ask for a sign anywhere from, from the depths of Sheol all the way up to heaven. You can have a sign any way you want it. And he's like, no, nah, I'm good. I don't need a sign. And he's like, well, you're getting one anyway. And what is the sign? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So the sign's going to be that a baby's born. Okay. Babies are born all the time, especially in this church. We can't stop having babies in this church. There's like a baby for every one of you that are out there right now. There's a baby. So that's an interesting sign to give, especially what precluded that. What came before that was you could have any kind of sign you want. And what Isaiah says the sign's going to be is a child's going to be born. And the name of this child will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And 
Um, the lectionary readings that we follow pairs this with a passage in Matthew that talks about Mary um, conceiving and then giving birth to the Messiah, Jesus. And Jesus was called Emmanuel, God with us. And so actually Isaiah wasn't, he wasn't talking about Jesus necessarily in this passage. He was talking about the idea of Jesus, the idea of a savior, someone that would be in the line of David. And, and just this morning we were talking about time and um, the way different people perceive time. And I think this is really interesting when we talk about the prophets um, because, you know, our, our brains don't actually record time like we do our, our, all the other parts of our memories, our five senses and things like that. We actually don't have a way of recording time other than to artificially, uh, with a calendar somebody made up, the Gregorian calendar is the one we use. I know, so, so that's very boring. Um, and uh, so um, we have to like timestamp memories. And here, Isaiah is giving this prophecy about this child. And, and the, way, the way I think about it in my mind is almost like, yes, this is about right now. This is about this situation that is happening. And it's also about this child that will be born and this other child that will be born and Jesus that will be born. It's almost like this prophecy that's about this moment, but it's also about the whole spectrum of what's happening in humanity that Isaiah is tapping into somehow. Um, have you ever uh, been in an argument with like a friend or a parent or spouse about like in what order things occurred? Like, well, you said this first and then, then, no, you said that and then I said this and you said that. Man, anybody ever had one of those fights before? It's because time is relative and because our memories are not good at remembering time. Um, but I know mine's better than Becky is. <laughs> A better time stamp. Look, here's the deal. Whether or not you're looking for it, God is sending you signs. And it might be as seemingly ordinary as a child being born, or that child, or that child. That as human beings, we are part of this story that just keeps going. There's just children being born no matter what happens. You'd think, you'd think that God, if, he, if like we were getting just really off track, he'd just stop us from being able to have kids. Like no more children, no more babies. That would solve the problem real quick of the problem with all the bad decisions we're making. But it's, but it's almost like there's, there's something especially important. It's interesting that God would choose to tuck himself away into a tiny baby and come as a sign to us in that way. Um, there's, a, there's a poet uh, that I stumbled upon, uh, an, an Indian poet, and uh, his name is Rabindranath. Gori, Rabinadreth, nope, close enough. I bet uh, uh, Sarah, I've seen Sarah correcting my um, pronunciation sometime mouthing them. I bet she could say it right. 
Uh, but he had this to say. Um, every child comes with a message that God is not yet discouraged of man. And, and so I think this, this child that Isaiah was talking about being born, this Emmanuel, this God with us, it was absolutely about that moment and absolutely about that child to be born. But I think it was also about something that God meant in general for us to see, for us to acknowledge, for us to understand about the future, about, about what it is that we're doing here, that we're, that we're part of a story, but we are not the whole story. And I, I, again, I think this is part of what the, the, the last hundred plus years of American Christianity has completely lost touch with. Because I think that children, children are signs of what we are meant to be and what we must work to become. I know I'm, I'm getting a little, a little abstract right now. Um, Children are, are present, they're needy, uh, they're joyful, they, they give and receive love easily. And they remind us, they remind us, this is the, this is the part about what we must work to become, they remind us that life doesn't end with us. That the decisions you are making right now, whether or not you have your own kids or not, is, is not the point. The point is, is that the lives we are all living, we are going to hand to another generation of people over and over. What will we have to hand them? What are the decisions we are making right now that are going to impact the world that they get from us? Children are literal personification of hope that things are going to keep moving forward. They're going to keep extending. In the last two verses of this passage, verses 15 and 16, um, Isaiah continues with his prophecy about uh, this child to be born. He says, he will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. When I was looking at these passages for this Sunday, um, th this phrase, this part of this sentence really caught my attention. It's been something I've been meditating on and thinking about for a long time. This phrase about um, when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. It's interesting that, that word, those words that are being used there because it seems Ahaz doesn't have that capacity or ability, the king himself. He doesn't know how to reject the wrong and choose the right. He doesn't, he doesn't even have that sense of wisdom and understanding. And yet, it's a difficult skill to possess, to come into possession of in this complex world we live in. It requires the development of wisdom. It requires a maturity. Um, now, 
there, there's stages though here. There's, there's, when a child is born, they don't, they're not born having to decide or even being aware of right and wrong, good and evil, right? They're born innocent without that understanding. And I know, I know the doctrine of original sin. I know those things. I'm just, I don't believe it. <laughs> My baby boy was born innocent. He just smiles and laughs and grabs things and throws them down and grabs your hair and won't let it go. And when you cry, <laughs> when my son cries, he laughs because the sound is funny to him, not because he's evil. So um, there's different versions of innocence, uh, different definitions of innocence. Um, here's, uh, here's one. Um, on the screen here that I want us to engage with for the next few minutes as we think about this concept. Um, and it comes from the Jamin Carter Dictionary. Uh, innocence, the lack of awareness or understanding that I have the potential to do great good or great harm and that I live in a world where both is happening all the time and has or will happen to me. This idea of innocence, this inability to even be aware of the potential within me to do great good or great harm. Think about the story of Adam and Eve. This is where they were. They were unaware. They were innocent. So this is where we begin as human beings in this sense. And you can still believe in the doctrine of original sin and believe in this passage of innocence. Here, what I've, what I've got on the screen and what the scriptures say in multiple places about this age that we get to in reasoning is confirmed by just experience. Uh, but it's also in the passages of scripture that um, there comes a time when we begin to become aware of our potential. And so getting back to what we were talking about earlier, it almost seems that, um, that in many of the contexts, the religious Christian context, is that the goal is just to be innocent again. The goal is just to be not guilty of anything wrong. But that's not the goal that I see throughout Scripture. That's not the goal that Christ wrested from the world that he was struggling through. It was goodness. Goodness and innocence are not the same thing. I want to, uh, to, to add uh, to this, what we're thinking about right now, this quote about goodness and innocence from Howard Thurman. He says this, a child is innocent, but a man or woman who has learned how to know beauty out of ugliness, purity out of stain, tranquility out of tempest, joy out of sorrow, life out of death. Only such a woman or man may be said to be good, but he is no longer innocent. So, so this child, this child that was being born, this, and even Jesus 
had to move on from innocence, to move on from the unawareness of potential, and to actually work through the difficulties of life. It says that he, that this child to be born would be eating curds and honey, which meant he was po. He was growing up in a conquered place, and there won no uh, meat to eat. There wasn't no cultivated gardens. It was just the raw stuff. A couple verses later, it's like, you might have a couple cows and a goat, and that's all you got. So you're eating curds, which is something that, you know, you let milk sit out, and it, I guess it turns kind of into curds. Thank God I've never had to eat that. So this world that our children are born into, that you young people here are growing up in and have grown up in. Those of us, there's, there's still multiple, several generations in this room. For some of us, we need to realize that our work right now is to pursue just the move from innocence into goodness, to go from, well, I don't really know about that, and I'm not, I don't, I'm, I'm not really um, knowledgeable about this thing, into pressing into the deeper and the harder realities of the inside of you and of the outside of the world, and to find goodness by the grace of God. Yes, yes, of course, by the grace of God, it takes us to move through that. For, for the older generations, it's to realize there is still work to be done to recognize and affirm this transition that those coming after us are doing and to say the work that you have to do is important and I need to be with you in that. I need to affirm what you will do that I cannot do, but I should help to prepare that way for you. So our decisions, when we think about the ability to choose between good and evil, one of the factors, one of the signs that we have is how much time do we spend thinking about those that will go after us, those who will inherit this world that is crumbling apart in so many ways. Not because of some, some uh, fatalistic destiny that God put on it, because of our choices, because we refuse to think about anyone but ourselves. Here's the thing, our circumstances will change. We see in this passage, uh, Isaiah prophesies quite accurately, those two kingdoms you're worried about, they ain't gonna be around but for another minute. But your choices, the consequences of your choices, Ahaz, those will be lasting and even in the midst of it, God is still providing for you signs. The next generation coming up. What world are you leaving for them based on your compromises, your false piety, your refusal to rest good out of a world full of strife and evil? See, the thing is, our circumstances will change. They'll change often. But the choices we make and their consequences will have a lasting impact, if not for you, for the one to come after you. The things that we fear will change, but who we must become does not change. Who we must become in spite of those present circumstances does not change. And Emmanuel, God with us, the continuation, and also in some way the waiting reminds us of this. 
I want to um, um, briefly, I uh, won't be uh, as, as much as I, I'd, I'd like to, but I want to talk about a, a, a couple of children who are moving from this place of innocence into, into this awareness and, and this wisdom of being able to discern uh, the good from the evil um, that I think has to do with this idea of Emmanuel. Uh, one uh, young lady, she's 16 right now, her name's Greta Thunberg. You ever heard of her? She was just um, uh, nominate, nominated, uh, was awarded Time Person of the Year. And uh, this, uh, this little girl, she, she got uh, so um, depressed when she was 11 about what was happening with climate change uh, that she began, after a long period of depression, to protest and to uh, take off school, a strike school, every, uh, every Friday. And her group just kept growing. And she, she also, she, she has Asperger's. So she has this, um, this different way of processing the world, and it's allowed her to see incredible things um, about what we're doing to the world that we live in. Um, and, and, and so, you know, some of, some of the, the quick, quick and dirty statistics, uh, about some of this climate change stuff, and this isn't a message primarily about climate change, but it is about the future we're, we're, we're handing over, uh, to the following generations. The UN intergov intergovernmental panel on climate change says worldwide emissions need to fall 50% by 2030 to keep the global average temperature increase under 1.5 Celsius, which would be above pre-industrial time levels. Um, if those things don't happen, we will continue to see more heat waves, droughts, floods, extreme storms, and more increasingly catastrophic uh, weather. That's what the science uh, community continues to tell us. Um, the uh, president of France said this about Greta and the movement around her. When you are a leader and every week you have young people demonstrating with such a message, you cannot remain neutral. They helped me change. And sometimes the best way to change a mind is to see the world through the eyes of a child. In the UN General Assembly that Greta was in invited to speak at in September, she said this among many other things. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth, she said. How dare you? <sighs> and so, as we think about this move from innocence to goodness, we have work to do. And one of the things we have to do is recognize the signs that are in front of us. They're all over, and most of them are small and slight, like five-foot Greta right here. There's many more. She's the one who's gotten the most attention, not that she was looking for it necessarily, but there's people like Quana Chasing Horse. Uh, in Alaska, she helped win protections for the Arctic National Wildlife, Re Wildlife Refuge, which the Trump administration had opened to oil drilling. Uh, it's known as the place where life begins 
in, in her nation. It's sacred, she says, it's our well-being, it's our way of life, and it's part of our identity. Or uh, Philoquan Charlemagne, who was born on St. Thomas, a small island in the Caribbean, but it was rocked by the climate crisis and he had to move. Hurricanes, raising tides. My parents told me once that during a hurricane, they literally were holding the roof down of our home so it wouldn't fly away. He is now the national creative director of the U.S. Youth Climate Strike, ensuring that the voices like his are taken into account. This is not some abstract future issue. This is something that's happening in people's lives every single day. I'm showing you these young people because they see things that those of us who are older begin to lose the ability to see if we stop expecting that God is giving us signs, signs from the children coming into this world, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the ultimate example of that. He was just like, I mean, if I feel like if Jesus was born right now, he would be doing what these children are doing. He came and he started telling the grownups what it was when he was 12 years old in the temple. He was smashing all the, uh, all the things going on there um, with the, uh, the ways the temple operated and the way people were being taken advantage of. He um, spoke for the poor and the oppressed. And those are the first people who are suffering in these ways. And so here's what I'm saying as we close. I'm not saying that everyone in here needs to become a, a, a climate uh, warrior, climate change warrior. I mean, it wouldn't be a bad thing, of course. Um, but I am saying that we need to keep our eyes open. We need to keep looking for the signs and the ways that God is working in and through us and those that are coming after us. And for the sake, not just of you and your personal piety or holiness, but for the sake of who are coming after us, to move into a sense where you are willing to go through death to bring goodness into the world. Going through death to bring life into the world. That is the example that our Savior set for us to follow. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, thank you uh, for this Advent season, this season of, of waiting, of anticipation. I pray that you would give us a desire to see the things that you are doing in this world that you have given us stewardship over. That we would um, take to heart the words of Isaiah. Ask for a sign. God will give it to you. And he has. The birth of a child, of Jesus, of the little children that will be running around in the sanctuary in a few minutes of the ones to come after that, of the ones here in the sanctuary with us. Give us eyes to see. Amen.